Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Luke chapter 10, and let me pray while you turn there. Father, hear our prayers. Help us to make the most of our time. Lord, pray for the student missions conference that will start soon. Even now, would you be preparing the hearts of the students? Uh, But Lord, prepare our hearts right now. And would you be working in these next few minutes together to be making us into the kind of leaders and laborers and ministers that you want us to be that can bear fruit for your glory. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 10. This is one of my favorite stories right at the end of chapter 10. And just going to read a couple of verses, starting verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. And then skip down to verse 42. Jesus speaking says, But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now one of the reasons I love this passage so much is it's so simple, it's so clear. I love when things get super focused. And Jesus said, really there's only one thing in life that's absolutely necessary. It's it's communion with Christ. It's sitting at His feet. It's listening to, to Him. It's also talking to Him as well. This portion of Luke's Gospel... Uh, it's not necessarily chronological, but Luke kind of arranges different portions to be topical. And so he's kind of on a theme right now of communion with Christ. And so the next story that he puts is about prayer, and this is where we're going to focus. So, chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So, uh, I love this. If you study all the Gospels, there's only one time where the disciples come and say, Jesus, please teach us how to blank. And they didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons, or Jesus, teach us how to heal, or Jesus, teach us how to preach, or Jesus, teach us how to disciple, or Jesus, teach us how to evangelize or lead. All those important things, and maybe other times they ask, but there's no record of it. There is this record that they specifically came and said, there's something so radical, so different, so unique about your pattern of prayer in your life, we want to learn from you. And remember, some of these guys have been disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus, and John the Baptist was a pretty radical dude. I mean, Jesus said about John the Baptist, he's the greatest guy in the kingdom up until this point. And yet, they said, Jesus, your prayer life surpasses His. We want to know, what's it like to have a prayer life like you do? And He gives them this pattern. Now, if you feel weak in the place of prayer, like you're struggling, like you're not very faithful, like you're not very consistent, maybe you're not very effective, you can go to Christ today as one of His modern-day disciples and pray to Him and say, Lord, teach me how to pray. Fill me full of Your Holy Spirit and make me more effective and faithful in the place of prayer. This is a prayer that He loves to say yes to. I mean, instantly He said, yes, I will teach you how to pray. So He gives them this pattern. Okay, and let, Let's just break it down really quickly. I mean, this is a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. We ought to pray to God as Father. That ought to be the primary, not the only, but the primary way we think. He's a good Father and I'm His child. 
the first concern on our heart ought to be His honor, His glory. Lord, make Your name look famous and good. And the, the main way to do that is spread Your kingdom. Let Your rule and reign come on the earth and enter into more people, more places, change lives. And then it's great to pray for very practical needs, even things like food. God, You know what I need. Please meet my basic needs. You ought to be praying on a daily basis, Lord, I want a fresh experience of Your grace, of Your forgiveness, of Your mercy. And Lord, help me have healthy relationships with other human beings. Where they hurt me, help me be quick to forgive. And lead me not into temptation. Lord, help me grow. Help me mature. Help me quit sinning in the same ways that I've been sinning so long. Okay? Now listen, you don't have to quote the Lord's Prayer every day, but it is a really great model. And if you've ever had days, I know I have a lot of days like this, where you're like, I know I need to spend time with God and pray, but I don't, I don't even know where to start. You ever had a day like that? Or maybe it's like, I've got so much, I don't know what to pray about. Or sometimes you're like, things are actually going kind of okay, and I just kind of feel kind of bored and numb anyway. I don't really feel burdened to pray for anything. The Lord's Prayer is always a great directive. Here's what you pray for. Here's how you pray. Okay? So, um, now, the hard thing is, if that's the pattern in prayer, there's also a problem in prayer. And the problem in prayer is, sometimes you may say, no, no, I, I do pray pretty regularly. I do pray pretty faithfully. I Actually, I don't quote the Lord's Prayer every day, but I pray for this kind of stuff every day. But... The problem that I feel like I run into prayer is God doesn't seem to be giving me the stuff that He told me to ask for. You ever felt that way? I feel like I'm asking for good things and God's not giving me good things. Very common problem. And Jesus knows that. He anticipates that. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. And He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. That might be a great little phrase right there to underline. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Now, I want us to stop there. This is a strange little parable. And remember the context. There's 12 men that Jesus is training to be full-time missionaries, full-time ministers. They say, teach us to pray. He gives them this pattern of prayer. This applies for anybody, even for somebody that's not in full-time ministry. But the context, then he's going to say, and now I want to give you a little parable to go along with the pattern for prayer. And the, the whole parable is around the idea, what do you do? When you feel like you're praying faithfully and you're knocking on the door and it feels like God is saying no. You ever felt like? You ever felt like just silence? Right? Or actively like God is saying, like, God, I was praying for things to get better in this direction and it feels like things are going backwards in that direction. It feels like the more I pray. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I've seen this in my own life. I've heard other people say it's like the more I pray about something, I feel like things get worse. Jesus is wise. Jesus told this parable because He knew there were going to be times. When, when that happens in your life, you should not be shocked. You should not say, like, what's wrong with me? Why are none of my prayers getting answered? It's like, that's a part of the normal Christian life to have seasons like that. It shouldn't shock you. You should expect it. Jesus expected it. Okay? The guy doesn't just say no. He says, I can't get up. It's impossible. I'm in bed. All my kids are asleep around me. If I get up, it'll be too loud. I'll wake people up. He says no. So, 
When we feel like that's happening, what should we do? Now, Jesus is going to give us the answer. But here's the danger. I think that many today, Christians in the church, what we tend to do when we're praying and we're praying and it doesn't happen is we tend to just give up. Because we don't like having high expectations. I mean, how often do we use this phrase? I don't get my hopes up. You ever use that phrase? We don't like getting our hopes up and then being disappointed. So a lot of times what we do is like, hey, this doesn't seem to be going well for me. I'm just going to give up. At least I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I don't need to be greedy. I just, you know, I'll just kind of play it safe. I don't expect too much. And that can sound kind of super spiritual, right? Sometimes, well, just look how content I am. I don't even ask the Lord for anything. And there is a type of contentment that we need to be growing in, but that's not it. There's no place in the Bible that commands us to a kind of contentment that would lead to prayerlessness. The answer is persistent prayer. Passionate, persistent prayer. So, just look at the rest of verse 8 where I stopped. Read the whole thing again. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, this is a strange word, okay? I'm, I'm reading from the... ESV, if you read in the New American Standards, I think it says persistence there. What, does anybody have a different translation here? That last word there? That yet because of his blank. Anybody have a different word? What do you got, Brooks? Shameless persistence. Okay, shameless persistence. That's really good. What translation is that? Okay, shameless persistence. That, that's, that's the best English translation in the version I've ever heard. Okay, that's really good. Some translations will say importunity, which is great, but it's like we never use that word. So it's like, what does it mean? You have to go look it up. It's not very helpful. Right? It's the only time this word's ever used in the Bible. But you look in like other places in Greek where it's used, and a lot of times it's negative because it kind of has the idea of being shameless, being disrespectful, throwing caution to the wind, being insolent, being rude, being disrespectful. A lack of decorum. A lack of going through the proper channels. You, you understand the idea? Let me just read some of the different definitions that I... Throwing caution to the wind. Tenacious insistence. Without regard to time, place, or person. A lack of sensitivity to what's proper. Urgency. Audacity. Earnestness. Boldness. Relentlessness. Desperate like a beggar. Unblushing. Without modesty. Insistent. Reckless. Disregard for consideration. No deference. Persisting in the face of all that seems reasonable. Refusing to take a denial. I mean, it's like, is this supposed to be a positive thing? But Jesus praises that kind of attitude. Jesus is saying to His followers, when you're asking for good things, and it seems like God is saying no, don't give up. Persist shamelessly persist, passionately persist, bang on the door harder and louder. Keep your finger in Luke 11. We're coming right back, but I want you to flip back to Isaiah for just a second. Isaiah chapter 62. It's a very short verse, but I want you to flip there and see it, because if you didn't flip there and see it, I might read it and you'd be like, I'm not sure that's really in the Bible. I think he made that up. So flip back to Isaiah chapter 62. I want you to see it with your own eyes. 
Isaiah chapter 62, we're actually going to start in verse 6. Isaiah 62, verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. And sometimes in the Old Testament, the prophet, a watchman was, was a picture of somebody that was supposed to be praying. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. Now look at this phrase. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. So he's basically saying to his people, here's what it means to pray. It's you remind God. You remind God. And in a sense, you don't give Him any rest until He does what you think He should do. I mean, doesn't that sound even almost a little bit problematic? (laughs) But that's God speaking to us, commanding us. That's the type of desperation, audacity, boldness, persistence we're supposed to have in our prayer life. I'm going to ask you a question. You can just answer in your mind. Is there anything in your life right now you're praying for like that? Is there anything in your life that you've ever prayed for like that? Now, if, 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 if internally you're saying, yeah, there was one time I prayed like that, or maybe, there, yeah, there's something I'm praying for that like right now, I think for most of us what we'd say is, let's just say, let's say one person said, yep, there was a time I prayed like that. What, what would you imagine? We said, okay, tell us your story, friend. What might be the type of story they would tell? What might be like a hypothetical example of what might drive somebody to actually pray like this? Okay, a family member dying, somebody suffering terrible pain, somebody lost or kidnapped or suffering. Your worst nightmare, basically, right? Your worst nightmare might drive you to throw all of your proper decorum to the wind and say, I don't care, God. Do whatever it takes. Please hear me. Blood, sweat, and tears type prayer. And in case we missed it, back to Luke chapter 11. It's like, are we sure that Olin is interpreting this the right way? Jesus kind of doubles down on the same teaching. Hey, just look at what he says in verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but does anybody at a practical, functional, experiential, visceral level, does anybody have a problem with verse 10? doesn't always seem true, does it? Right? I mean, we're like, well, I feel like there have been times I've been asking and I didn't receive. I feel like I know people. They're knocking and the door's not getting opened. But it's a promise. Now, here's, here's what you have to understand, especially in verse 10. The way it's worded again, the participles and the verbs, it has the idea of this. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. So, so a fair kind of translation, so to speak, would be this. Lifelong askers receive. Lifelong knockers eventually get the door open. Lifelong seekers, in the long run, they find. God is not a microwave God. God is not a sitcom God. He doesn't solve your 
problem in 30 minutes. But if you persevere habitually in a lifestyle of continual asking, continual seeking, in the long run, you're going to get answers. One commentator said this. He said, it's possible to be industrious in life, basically be a hard worker in life, and to still be poor. Right? You go to some places in the world, somebody can work really hard, and it's not going to make that big of a difference. They're still going to be poor. But this commentator said, it's impossible to be industrious in your prayer life and be spiritually poor. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. You want to be spiritually prosperous? Pray fervently. Pray desperately. Persevere in prayer. One more little parable here. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The only way that we can really have a prayer life, guys, that will persist like this, is if ultimately we have this really deep confidence, God really is the good Father, the perfect Father. He will give me the good things, the best things, the right things, in the right time away. If, if I really believe that in the depths of my soul, I'll persevere. Now, here can be another problem in our prayer life. Let's just say there's some student down here in Beach Project you've been praying for all summer to come to Christ. And they had not come to Christ yet. At some point, what you can start to say is, I don't fully understand how it all works together, right? Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty, election, double predestination, all that stuff. What if it's not God's will for this guy to get saved? Right? Anybody ever wrestle with that one? It's like, what if I'm praying? Oh, I have two hands, right? What if I'm praying against God's will? Well, Jesus kind of directs us here. It's like, when in doubt, just pray for the Holy Spirit. God, I want to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out on Beach Project, on Barry's campus, in this fraternity, on that football team, in that sorority, whatever. Come Holy Spirit, come in power. Do your good will. Listen, it's not wrong to ask those questions and wrestle those questions. Those are good questions to ask and wrestle with. I just say this. Don't ever let it stop you from just continually praying. That's, that's when you get into trouble. I know plenty, unfortunately, of theological eggheads okay, who can sit around and smoke a pipe and wear a bow tie and use big theological words. But it's like, how's your personal prayer life? And not much to it. And, and that's, that's not the kind of disciples the Lord Jesus is trying to raise up. So, if we're going to regularly pray this way, there's really, there's really three things that you've got to know and feel and believe. The first is this. That whatever you're asking for, it's like, I am poverty-stricken in and of myself to make this thing happen. The phrase I asked you to underline, remember? It, 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 this was a parable told to ministers. I've got somebody I'm trying to minister to, I'm trying to feed, I'm trying to help, but I personally have nothing to set before Him. If you don't show up, God, and give me something to set before these students, it's going to be an absolute, unmitigated failure and disaster. You have to believe, God, I am poverty-stricken, I'm desperate. The second thing is you have to believe what you're asking for is good. But then the third thing, and this is the most important, you've got to believe that God is good. God is willing. 
God is able. Look again at verse 8. It says, He gave him, He'll give him as much as he needs. Right? ESV says, He will give him whatever he needs. He won't give us whatever we want. He will give us whatever we need. But let me just read a few quotes here. One guy said this, Prayer isn't overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His highest willingness. R.T. France said this. this. I really like this. He said, This invites not merely a resigned acceptance of what the Father gives. That's, that's what I'm trying to preach against tonight. But a willingness to explore the extent of His generosity. That's what our prayer lives ought to look like. God, I'm trying to explore how generous you are. I want to figure it out and I want to cash in. Not in a self-centered way, but for your glory and for the nations. Secure in the knowledge that only what is good will be given so that mistakes made in prayer through human short-sightedness will not rebound on those praying. You understand what he's saying there? Listen, God is so sovereign and good that even if we pray something stupid sometimes, He's a good enough Father to just say, ignore that. We're not going to answer that one. And, and listen, that ought to be really comforting because that frees us up to be more reckless. You know? It's like if you had some kind of favorite video game or something, Call of Duty or whatever, you like to play with your buddy, and somehow you got a thing where you had like, you're never going to die, free lives. You can be super reckless in the game. Because it doesn't matter if I get killed because I'll just respawn or whatever you call it and keep playing. You understand what I'm saying? There ought to be that sense in my prayer life. I can, I can throw myself recklessly after God because if I happen to say something stupid, when I do say something stupid, He'll just overlook it. Hendrickson says, With God, it's never midnight. He never lacks. He's never bothered. He's never surprised. As the ultimate emphasis of these parables is not about how we're supposed to pray, but on remembering who we're praying to. So let me give you a really specific example. We're on Beach Project. This is 20 plus years ago on a beach project on the other end of the beach at a hotel that doesn't exist anymore in Panama City Beach. And I was at UNA, was working with ATOs, and the first year I got zero ATOs to come to Beach Project. And the second year, I got one ATO to come to Beach Project. I was very excited about it. So I'm like, man, let's me and you meet once a week, pray for other ATOs at UNA. And we started doing it. And the first time that me and this guy named Matt were praying for other ATOs, he's like, God, I pray that next year at Beach Project, we'll have 10 ATOs come to Beach Project. And what I said out loud was, yes, Lord. Inwardly, I'm like, there's no freaking way, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, God, help him. God, don't let his faith be crushed because that ain't going to happen. But I don't want to seem unspiritual, so I'm not going to say it out loud. So we prayed that all summer. And then he's in a discipleship group the whole next year. We prayed that all next year. And the next summer, three ATOs came to Beach Project. But instead of saying, darn it, disappointing, let's give up, we just said, you know what, let's just keep praying for 10. Maybe we just missed it on the timing. So we spent a whole next year and we got other people. Ten ATOs come to Beach Project. The second year, didn't happen. I think we got six or seven, though. So let's keep praying. The third year, I think we had 11 ATOs on Beach Project. I think we had four go overseas. And one of the guys that came with Beach Project was this kind of hard-hearted atheist, didn't grow up in the church, barely knew what the Bible was, 
and he came down and he came to Christ. Persevere in prayer, guys. Don't give up. Don't let a temporary no be the final answer. Have enough faith that even if God is giving you a no, He's still good. He's going to give you the best things that you'd be asking for if you knew everything He was asking. I mean, everything that He could see from this perspective. So, swing for the fences in your prayer life. Don't swim close to the shore and play it safe. Get in the deep end. You know, John Piper has this great quote. He used to be kind of famous. Where he, I think it was a, 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 I think he had one called "Prayer: The Work of Missions," and the quote was, "We will not know what prayer is for." Can anybody finish it? Until we know that life is war. Until we know that life is war. Okay, it, it rhymes. It's easy to remember. All right, but he had this great illustration. He said, "Listen, if you think of primarily prayer as like an intercom in your mansion to call the butler down to fluff your pillow, you're probably not going to get many prayer." answer. But if you think of prayer like a walkie-talkie and you're on the battlefield and people are dying and you're trying to call in air support, you'll probably start getting a lot more of your prayers answered. Prayer is a wartime weapon in this spiritual warfare. And we need to be praying with that kind of intensity. (laughs) Just think about what we said before. When, hypothetically, might somebody have prayed with this kind of aggression if they were going through what they imagined was their worst nightmare. It ought to be our worst nightmare that people that we know and love are going to die and go to hell. It ought to be our worst nightmare that though we've been Christians for years, we all, myself included, have besetting sins that we're still doing, abusing God's grace. Those ought to be our worst nightmares that we're like, God, please set me free from these sins and set free my dead spiritual friends from their blindness and their darkness. Oh, persevere in passionate prayer, persistence, even when you get no answers, even when it seems like you get bad answers. Because probably some of us can tell a story about I was praying for something that was good. I was was praying for, you know, I just wanted to get married to somebody that loved missions as much as I do and we'd go on a mission field forever together. And then I got dumped. And it feels like, uh, almost like a mean practical joke that God played in my face. I understand. But whatever you might have been through, I guarantee you it wasn't as bad as what the Lord Jesus Christ went through. When He was banging on the door saying, I want the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. I want the smiling face of my Heavenly Father. And He got a no. And in a sense, He got from the Father, I can't get up and help you right now. Because all these kids that we're trying to save, they would be eternally disturbed if I got up and helped you right now. He was asking for something good, but really, in a sense, he got turned over to Satan, the great serpent. He was asking for comfort, and he didn't get this thing of a scorpion. He got this thing of God's wrath. Guys, that ought to comfort us so much that in the worst of times, we ought to be able to say, 
Even though it seems like you're hurting me right now, Father, I know that you're a friendly Father. I know that you always want what's best for me. I'm going to persevere in prayer. I'm never going to give up. I'm going to die in the place of persevering in prayer because you died for me. Let me pray for us. Father, protect us from trying to numb our desires and play it safe and swim close to the shore. Would you give us great faith, reckless faith, that goes hard after you, that goes hard after your heart, and that goes hard after the things that are on your heart, Lord. More sanctification in our own lives. More glorification of you on planet earth. More people coming to Christ. Make us into the people of prayer that you want us to be. And God, give us fruit. Not for our name and fame, but for yours. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So let me give us three super specific pieces of of practical application that I want to kind of challenge us all to. The first would be this. Take this passage, and this is a challenge that's going to start today and go all the way to New Year's conference. All right, so all all the way to Christmas. You get the day after Christmas off, all right? Uh, So take Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, and memorize it. you got plenty of time. I'm going to do it with you, right? And listen, you... You're not going to get a pay raise if you do this, and you're not going to get a demotion if you don't do it. But why not? Let's let's do it together. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Memorize it. And then I want every day, use this little shorter version of the Lord's Prayer to pray for at least two really specific things. The first specific thing would be this. Some sort of ministry goal that you might have. Maybe it's you want to see... Somebody come to Christ on the volleyball team that you're ministering to. Or maybe you want to see five girls from the soccer team go to New Year's. You decide. But but try to think of something that you're going to pray for every single day. I mean, now to Christmas is a little bit less than 180 days. That Every single day you're going to keep banging on God's door. Give me this. Give me this. This is how I want to see you spread your kingdom on my campus, Father. Give me this very specific thing. Maybe get other people to pray it with you but commit to praying for it every single day. And then the second thing would be, God, hallow your name in my life by giving me more fruit of the Holy Spirit. And just pick one, whichever fruit of the Holy Spirit you feel like you're struggling the most, and pray for it every single day. God, fill me more with the Holy Spirit, with patience. And and try to think of some way that you could measure the growth. Like, God, I want to be so patient that I never scream at anybody in traffic again. I, you know, I don't know what it is. I want to be so patient that by Christmas, my wife will look at me and say, you've actually been gentle this last semester. And I might fall over dead from shock. But the idea is, pick one fruit of the Spirit, pray for it every day. Does that make sense? Okay, let's stop there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.